want to welcome everybody to another podcast of Prisma. This podcast series is called Research Encounter. And today I'm really thrilled to spend a podcast talking to four amazing artists about Jewish arts education. We have two people working in day schools. The first is Linda Parmet, who is the Hebrew content dean and director of Hebrew curriculum. And if that wasn't enough, Interdisciplinary Jewish Studies at the Weber School in Atlanta, Georgia. She's also a mentor on the staff of the Teacher Institute for the Arts. Ahuva Winslow is the Director of Visual Arts at Yeshivat Frisch in Paramus, New Jersey. She teaches the 9th through 12th grade art track, which includes artist Beit Midrash, as well as 12th grade biblical portraits, Nach Elective. Dr. Ora Horn Prouser is the CEO and academic dean at the Academy for Jewish Religion, an accredited pluralistic rabbinical, cantorial, and graduate school located in New York, and serving students throughout the U.S. and internationally through a distance learning program. She's the co-editor of Under One Tent, Circus Judaism and Bible, which is an extension of sacred arts work at AJR. AJR is now home to a new program they call the Center for Sacred Arts. We'll be hopefully talking a lot about that today. And Ayal Prouser is a circus artist, choreographer, and academic. He is a founder and director of Time Flies Circus. Welcome, everybody. Why don't we start off, and I will uh, ask all of you to just introduce yourselves. Introduce yourselves both as artists and as arts, Jewish arts educators. Okay, I'm Ahuva Winslow. Um, I'm the director of visual arts at the first school. And um, I'm also an artist. Uh, I am a glass artist. I um, work with fused glass. I'm a painter. And um, I've been teaching art for, well, I've been teaching at Frisch for over 18 years. So I run um, the art track is for ninth through 12th grade art track in Frisch, which includes the Artist Beit Midrash program. Um, and that is a skill-based program that teaches fine arts. And it really incorporates the elements and principles of design. So I teach all art that includes um, everything from drawing and painting to all types of design work. So um, kids that are interested in graphic design, fine arts, architecture, engineering, um, we do sewing, ceramics. Um, I try to expose them to all types of art and design so that um, they're prepared for any type of art um, they may be interested in the future. And what I created was um, something called Artist Baby Drash into the program. In addition to the skills that they're learning with art, um, they could take those skills and then um, use their identity and the things that are important to them to um, apply them to the, their Jewish concepts. So I actually started as a Hebrew teacher that also included uh, teaching Judaics because it was in elementary school, so it was combined. And when I was doing that, I always looked to add some kind of creative project to what we were doing uh, and actually eventually ended up in pop-up art, as in pop-up books. Uh, and what I saw happened in the classroom was amazing in terms of what it did for the kids and so forth. And I'm sure we'll delve into that. 
but then the opportunity of attending this workshop uh, that was run, the Teachers Institute for the Arts, which is actually run by Kol Haot, which is an organization in Jerusalem, run by David Moss, the well-known artist, and uh, Elisa Moss Gorbinovitz and Rabbi Matt Berkowitz. And they started this program to connect Jewish studies with creativity and visual arts. And after I took that workshop, I really it changed how I used the creativity. I decided, you know, the whole idea is not to sort of create a decoration that is the art, but to illuminate the art, the, the ideas that the kids are learning or the students are learning. Uh, and I really got into that and I moved to high school and was given the opportunity to, to design some classes that really combine those uh, disciplines, which is why my that title you read is so long and cumbersome. We couldn't come up with anything short and sweet. Um, so I now teach uh, a Judaics class. In addition to Hebrew, I teach the Judaics class that is a design and Judaics, and its title is Torah Toolkits and Power Tools. And it's a cycle of study, deep text study, connecting it to today's issues, whether personal, global, community, and then a creative outlet that is some idea that the students have formed through their analytical thinking about the topic and then designing it and uh, making it. And we do that and it's become very successful and really exciting work um, and uh, class keeps growing. So someone's having fun. Terrific. Is that an elective class or is that something everyone it's takes? Become a, it started as some elective classes um, to sort of see how the students connected to it. And, you know, not many good things came out of the pandemic, but uh, a full core uh, sophomore year class came out of uh, the necessity to accommodate certain students. And that allowed us to develop a year long, intense and and fun class. It, it looks great. You showed me the, the link to uh, the presentation online and the, the, the work was so so professional. I, I, I don't know if that's even a good word for it, but so, so well presented, so thoughtful, and and the the different media were so were fascinating. Okay, let's. Speaking of different kinds of media, why don't we why don't we move on to Ayal? So I've been doing uh, circus. I guess I started as a juggler about twenty years ago, and been teaching and performing professionally for about fifteen years now, a little less, I guess. At this point, as a as an artist, my main circus skill is flying trapeze uh, and juggling. And I'm specifically interested in how flying trapeze can become more intimate and more human and not just watching like superhumans flying and flipping and twisting and people are like it's only anxious or exciting, but how trapeze can feel a little more of a dance or theatrical or more intimate. And... As an artist, edu- as an arts educator, coaching circus, teaching circus has always been a major part of my career. I started when I was, uh, I started teaching when I was like 17. I've been fortunate to really travel teaching. I've traveled, I've, I've taught all throughout the United States. I, I worked at a social circus program in, um, in Israel that brought together Israeli Jews and Israeli Arab youth. And taught them circus as a like a vehicle for social change. And the idea is that circus so like deeply requires trust and communication. Like having someone's life in your hands takes a very different meaning when you're 20, 30 feet up. So 
they teach circus to kids. And with the idea of being, if they can learn to exercise trust, communication, partnership, teamwork, in that setting, it will carry on into other parts of their life. And 100% saw it working. Like I remember playing like a, a Shabbos morning pick up football game in the park and seeing kids walking from the Arab side of town to the Jewish side of town and from the Jewish side of town to the Arab side of town. And that was incredible. I co-founded a youth circus program in Kampala, Uganda as well that taught circus as a professional skill. It was for at-risk youth in the, um, in Kampala, in the capital of Uganda. From the original cohort of youth, almost all of them are now working professionally in circus, either as performers or as coaches and making money and a living doing so. So that um, circus and community and change has always been a major part of my philosophy, like whether it's uh, my teaching philosophy, whether that's the actual goal of the organization, like the Galilee Circus in uh, in Israel, or whether it's just teaching at a recreational school in Brooklyn. This was around 10 years ago. AJR was starting their Sacred Arts Initiative. And I got a phone call being like, how do you think we can study Talmudic structure through uh, circus. And I was like, well, we'll build human pyramids. I was like, duh. <laughs> um, so ever since then, that's how I really got brought into sacred arts and have been doing it with AJR ever since. And around three years ago, I co-founded uh, Time Fly Circus. We're a fully mobile circus program. So we don't have our own location or anything like that. We go into camps and schools and JCCs and Ys and set up everything from one day events to recurring events to community circus shows and so on and so forth. Um, hi. So I, first of all, need to say that I feel like a fraud here because I would not consider myself an artist. I'm a biblicist and, and I come to this from the world of studying Bible and I'm always the biblical partner with the artist. So I just want to lay that out because there are certain people, if they heard me, you know, described as an artist would not stop laughing. I've been at AJR for many years. And what, um, just to give a little bit of background before the part that Ayal shared, um, if we go back a little further, every year we have these communal programs that all of our students come to. And we always, we found that we were always doing something artsy during those programs. And it was always successful. It was always something that everyone loved. So we went from there into saying, okay, why don't we do a whole retreat on studying through the arts. And that, of course, as you can imagine, was very successful as well. Um, and it got us moving into the world of sacred arts. And what was really important to us was not to use the text as a jumping off point to do art, but rather to use the art to process the text. Um, so our goal was never to create beautiful art. If people make beautiful art, yay, um, that's lovely. But our goal was never to do that. Our goal was how does the art help us process the text in different ways? And we started doing that with the biblical text because, frankly, it's always easier in Bible. Um, Bible's just made for it. And um, but then we decided to push ourselves and we said, OK, let's do a whole retreat on sacred art studying Talmud. And then we said, let's not use a little Agadic gem 
let's use a this simple halachic argument and see what happens if we study a simple halachic argument through the arts. And we brought in a dancer and we brought in a circus artist that was Ayal. And I think there was a visual artist as well. And the results were quite fascinating because the students came out of it saying, I have absorbed how to think about Talmud differently than I have in all my classes on Talmud. Um, and so this kept us going in this work. The other thing I want to add is that what also I think makes us a little different or odd is we have always pushed to have the art represent the shot of the text, that we are not looking to use the art to create beautiful drash and interpretive reading. We want to use the shot, the contextual reading. Now we do this from the standpoint of a belief and it's an approach. Not everyone has the same approach that there are multiple shot readings of the text. There's not just we our approach is there's not just one shot reading of the text. There are multiple contextual readings as long as they can be supported within the text of the of the Bible. And so we try again to use that as reins to keep us within the text at the same time that we're using the art to process the text. And um, it has led to really remarkable work. It draws in people who are very art-centered, but it has also drawn in people who never thought they would be engaging in the arts and studying and certainly never thought they would be using circus. I think that, you know, arts education isn't about just teaching artists, right? Maybe it is at, at a, at a certain level, but, but, but it's about doing something that the, a belief that the arts can do something to every person, right? Experiencing the arts, creating arts, learning through art can uh, have a profound effect on, on everyone. I'm, really intrigued by this idea that you have uh that that's at the center as you say at the center of your work that you didn't want uh the text to be a jumping off point for the art but that the uh work that the participants do in experiencing the circus art is what leads them back into finding insights into the art. And I would love if you just give an example of that. And then I'd love to hear what, uh, what Linda and Ahuva, uh, think about that. If there's some correlation to their own work. Sure. A few examples I can give you of how the process is what has had the impact. What we usually do is we look at a text, uh, you know, at some, depending on how much time we have or a lot of time or sometimes very, very briefly. And Ayal teaches a few moves that give them a little bit of a circus language to use in, in studying, in preparing. And then um, we talk to them about words like balance and respect and who's holding up who, who's supporting whom, who knows who's around them, right? Like, so we, we try to give that kind of think in those spatial terms. Um, and then we encourage the students to 
think for themselves, how would they represent this text using circus moves that they were taught? Or very often they'll say, I have this idea. And I, I will say, fine, just like, give me your idea and I'll help you make it. Um, you know, we'll, we'll figure out how to make it physically, but you, you direct. And, and so it leads to really some very, very student centered. We don't walk in with the idea of here's what we're teaching in this text. It is, you know, let's open the text up and then the students use the art to process and develop their readings. Um, and what we have seen is people have been actually surprised by their own readings. And you see this the most when it's very familiar text, right? Like um, people know these texts already, right? So as an example, we were using a tight wire that people walk on where, you know, even I mean, I guess people who are really good on it don't feel unbalanced, but believe me, everyone in our class felt unbalanced being on the tight wire, even with Ayal's hand there. Um, and we were studying the Akedah and the question, the binding of Isaac and Breshi Kafbet. And we were really thinking, how does it feel? How does it impact on your reading of the Akedah if you are physically unbalanced. And one of our students who felt, who told us later that he had no connection with the Akedah, he felt so jaded by it because it just was around too much. Um, he started crying on the tight wire because he was so filled with questions of, you know, the depth of what was going on because he was physically unbalanced. I I think that that's one of the examples that really speaks to the to the method is that a lot of people come to our workshops expecting to recreate scenes from the Bible using skills taught in circus. Um, so it's not that the visual aspect of seeing someone walk on the tight wire is the source of study it is the experience of feeling unstable to the individual on the wire that is the source of study so a lot of people are like if we do human pyramids they're like i am reaching out for what whatever um or because i'm longing for and i was like i'm like no that is way too mimetic we're like we're not trying to create a tableau we're trying to see what feelings come from either outside sources or internally. And those are the sources of information for opening up the text further. And I think that is one of the things that is very specific or um, fundamental to understanding our method. I love how the experience of the process of your art gives people a tangible, visceral understanding of the text that really is very different from the kind of intellectual detached approach that most people usually take when they're reading or or studying uh, any text, but certainly certainly the, the Torah and sacred texts. No, I was just going to say that's a thing we haven't said yet, which is it's about thinking with your body. And we don't normally do that. We think with our minds and then maybe we use our body afterwards. We, we're not trained to think with our bodies. And so it's a different experience. And so I'll I'll turn now to Ahuva and Linda. You know, it obviously not the same when you're 
cutting paper or working with glass or painting. But it is, uh, in a sense, it's also using different senses, different different parts of your body, your experience, you're working with colors, what have you, and approaching the text that way. And I think biblical stories are especially open to having people approach them through the arts because they're so they're so spare and they're so inviting of uh, of interpretation and of uh, different different ways like this 70 the 70 ways of uh, approaching the text there are many more of course but and then of ways that each person has uh has to find their own kind of way into the text through their own experience so talk why Ohuva, why don't you start and talk about your artist bait midrash and how sure. that um, I, I first, I, I first wanted to say that while um, both of you were just uh, explaining what you do, I was really excited to hear about it because I, I wanted to jump in and say, like, you know, the emotional connection to the text is so important. And like, I understood exactly what you were trying to achieve. And I was so excited about it. <laughs> so I was like trying to keep my mouth shut the whole time, um, which is wonderful, because I really feel like when you're teaching the text, obviously every student learns and connects to the text differently. And so engaging physically is is one way of doing it, but giving them an experience where they can emotionally feel something is, is suddenly is, you know, they're going to look at the whole um, text in, in a totally different way. And I I, I really feel like there are times where I'm teaching and kids will say, I've learned this a hundred times, you know, since I was a child. And I don't think I ever understood it that way. And, and I think it's because they just learned it like a story and they just learned it like in frontal teaching. Um, and they never really, um, were taught it in a, a much more, um, experiential way. So, I do two different things. I teach artist Bay Midrash within my um, art track class, which is um, a skill-based art track for, for artists. And I also teach a 12th grade elective, which is called Biblical Portraits. In the Biblical Portraits class, we talk about different um, characters in Tanakh. Um, and the goal is really to experience the story of the character and I use artwork as their um, assessment, actually, of what we're learning. So we do textual learning. There is some kind of assessment at the end of the textual learning, and that is artwork-based. Um, however, so they they do um, sketchnoting for when we're learning inside. Um, and I teach in a different way. I was never, I have no background in Judaic studies teaching. I have a background in fine arts, (laughs) Um, but I have a love for Tanakh and a love for learning and sort of just came together. Um, So when I teach, for example, Yonah is the first character in Tanakh that I teach. I always say, what do you think he was feeling? You know, how, how do you think that feels when, you know, he is uh, a Navi for B'nai Israel, and he loves B'nai Israel, and Hashem is telling him to do this. Like, what? what's that conflict? What's going on? How, what, how are his emotions? Um, and when the kids are starting to um, grapple with the fact that Yona has feelings, and we're starting to look at the character with an emotional 
you know, as a person with emotions, you know, that's, that's the conversation that we're having. And so then the artwork that we're doing, though it is an assessment and I do give a rubric and I ask them to um, hit certain topics that I want to know that they're achieving. I, I really, the goals for all my classes are that they are reaching like the depths of content, but also connection to their lives. You know, so if we're trying to understand the emotional content of Yona, how does that connect to you as a person? What does that mean? Like, you know, reflecting on him and reflecting on you. Um, and then in our artist Beit Midrash, so I explain that it's a skill-based class. Um, and we usually take those skills and then we apply it. Um, we're learning it's a tefillah-based class. Uh, uh, so it's studying a prayer very basic in terms of studying. Um, I don't like to bring in too many sources because it's more about connecting to them as a person. Because in many of their elementary schools, they do teach them like interpretation of the prayers. Um, but the goal is, is that they're going to, as high schoolers, uh, I want them to make art that's about them um, and be creative. To, to make work that expresses who they are as, as, you know, Jews in the modern world, as women, as men, as people. Um, and so they want, I want them to start, you know, exploring those feelings, emotions, connect to experiences in their lives. So at a lot of the time I'll say, you know, does this remind you of an experience that you had in this text? So I really want them to put that all into their, into their work. It's very much about their emotions. Linda, what, can you talk to us about the the kind of methods that that you have your students uh, go through to produce their work? Yeah, it, it's so interesting to hear everybody speak, um, and we all have some similar pieces, but we seem to take them in slightly different ways, um, and that's really it's very interesting. Um, I guess I approach it in a lot of ways. I, I find that my goals for the students in this class are many, and they don't they and, they and there are many disciplines so first i'd like them to connect to our source texts um it's a community high school i don't always know their background um some have more some have less and so the class is really geared to give them whether they've seen it a hundred times or never at all to give them a new perspective and the same way ahuva said many of them know the story but have never thought about it the way we present it and certainly not dealt with it afterwards in the way that we do. Let me take the example, you brought up the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. Um, our theme for the year was sort of, was partnerships and relationships. And so we looked at different places in the Bible and found um, topics that, that we thought would interest them and, and they could then take it, A, they would see the value of learning the text from the original source, understand how to do that and how to look at it in multiple ways, Connect it to their lives. Why is that even relevant for us to read and understand and think about? And then come up with some idea. What, what interested them about what we talked about, what we learned? And how am I going to express that in a creative way? Um, and so once we've done the studying, I, I, I come at it from the approach of design. Um, art, while art is part of the class, it's really creativity that I push. So even if someone says to me, well, I, I can't take your class, I don't do art, I'm terrible. 
I say that is not a prerequisite. You just have to be able to think. You have to be open to doing things and trying new things. And we will find what fits your abilities and you'll learn. You'll learn some new things. So we took the one class, for instance, a topic was the two sides of Abraham. So the Akedah, the binding of Isaac, versus how his personality was in Sodom and Moab when he was arguing and negotiating with God. And we talk, we, we do the study of these two texts, we, we think about um, and, and commentaries, and we talk about um, different relationships that you have with different parts of yourselves and personality and so forth. And the kids really, the students talk about it, they think about it, they argue about it. I, my favorite classes are when they start getting heated respectfully. Um, and then they have to express something that they learned through a medium. And we've used woodworking, ceramics, like you say, you saw my um, the online portfolio of the class. I love to try new things. So we, we whatever, every year, the, you know, things change depending on what caught my interest. Um, this year we did woodworking, which is actually a staple of the class. We did um, paper weaving, which is an interesting um, art form. So they took that idea of, of the two parts of Abraham and they had to create something that reflected their ideas about what they learned and what they thought about what they learned. So it's not an interpretation. It's not a reflection of the text. Okay, here's the story. Here's the art that shows what happened. It is my ideas about that as they relate to me today or what they read in the text itself. Um, they also have to abstract it because it's now in the form of some kind of art. And they go through a design process. Uh, they have to offer three different possibilities for their art. They have to meet with one or two other partners, explain it, answer questions, explain how it reflects their ideas. They have to then go back and design their final idea. Uh, and then they have to learn how to do it, whatever some, for instance, the, the woodworking, there's a lot involved in doing woodworking. And we start from going to the store and purchasing the wood and all the way to creating um, a beautifully well-crafted final product. That's another goal is to learn. How do you use your hands? How do you use spatial thinking? How do you iterate? How do you come back and think about your idea again? Does that really reflect your idea? One of the hardest parts for them is writing the artist statement that they're required to, to, to do, because if they didn't do the process, they can't explain what they did. And so it really approaches the students from so many different places and skills and abilities um, that it is, it's, it's an interdisciplinary course uh, of all kinds of things. One of the things that I have seen happen in these classes that is magic and it started from when I was teaching little ones uh, and using pop-up art, is that the expert in the room changed. The students who were excellent at math and reading and always felt like the smartest ones in the room often struggled with the art form and the creativity and the understanding of how to put something together or do something, which was a skill that we don't measure as much at school. And all of a sudden, the students who got it and could do it were the ones running around the classroom helping others. And so that's another piece of what I see happening in these creative classes that connect analytical thinking with um, creativity. Uh, the expert in the room changes. Students have their turn to be the shining star and the one who's able to help others and able to get it right away. 
it, I have seen students blossom and, and gain confidence and self-confidence and um, leadership skills. All of those things come out in these classes when you combine creativity and Judaic studies or any other thinking and analytical thinking that you've studied in a, in a more dry way. I just typed in while you were talking real world skills, because I mm -hmm. think it's really important as you're going through all the different steps in what you do. Um, you know, when you're doing a, a like work like this, um, it really gives the opportunity for the classroom to, you know, be a structure that teaches students real world skills, which is really what we need today. You know, these kids don't need to be able to spit back the text, which they can do by opening the computer or their phone and reading it off the screen. Um, they need to be able to know how to, you know, manage and navigate all these types of skills um, and to be successful at many different things and to know where they're going to be successful. So that's what's incredible. I think that's a, a great segue to my next question, which is, you know, we usually think of art as a kind of solitary experience of the artist with uh, his or her palette going in the studio or going out on plein air and, and, and it's just the artist and the, and the scene and interpreting the scene. Or if it's a writer, the writer, you know, Marcel Proust in his uh, room in his chambre with the, the the cork on the wall to block out the sound and block out everybody else and just to focus on in the middle of the night on his writing. But, you know, art is profoundly social as well. And certainly when you're looking at biblical texts, biblical texts are social texts. They're, they're texts about people interacting in often very tension-filled ways. And interpretation is also uh, very much uh, a social act in, in so many, so many ways. Why don't we start with Aura and Ayal again? Because the, the social dimension to the interpretive, to the interpretation is, is really central to your work. Can you talk about that? And then I think we heard bits and pieces of that from Linda and Ahuva as well. If you could kind of react. It's, it's been very clear to us that Whenever we have these workshops studying text through circus, the, a community is formed. Um, when we're able to do it in a longer term course, like we've been lucky enough to be able to teach this in full rabbinical school courses, um, like a full trimester course. And then you actually have the time to engage week after week, but we've also done it in condensed four full day courses kind of things. Um, so we have certainly seen these deep connections formed in those classes. And some of that is um, the act of study together. Some of it is a little bit circus because circus builds community. Um, it is just different than a lot of other art forms. And I'm going to let you talk about that, Ayal. Um, but the other thing I want to say is we have seen even, I think a great example is we did a workshop at a, a Hillel conference. So it was a one-shot deal. It was the people in that group 
came out of it and I saw all the rest of the conference. They were talking to each other. They didn't know each other beforehand. This was when they met. Um, and it be like they formed a unit just because of the what we did together. Circus only happens with trust and communication. And Linda touched on this a little bit as well, is I don't frame it the same way as roles being flipped, because I, th I think there's certain ways that like artists are often talk too much about non-intellectual. And I don't like, it's, so it's not like we have like intellectual, we have the artists, we have that, like, but I want to think about it as art has a way of democratizing thinking and studying, wherein when you enter into a room, a community school is a great example. Rabbinical schools are great examples, any sort of community. Um, there are those who are very well-versed in text, and there are those who are less familiar, let's say, but nobody is well-versed in studying text through circus. So there is just kind of like a guard that is dropped in our workshops, because oftentimes in places of study, people will keep a guard up. Um, like either they don't want to sound stupid or sound silly or sound like it's not a novel idea. And they're like, oh, I just had this idea. And everyone's like, hey, yeah, you know, um, but circus is this new pathway to get these ideas that nobody is familiar with. So there's this guard dropping. There's this trust happening. There's this communication happening. And kind of when you have all of those in one space, it's hard not to build a community. Also, like you said, like I said, there's something just about circus, which is a little bit of fun. Um, <laughs> all I, I think all arts are good for all people if they can find a way to connect to them. Um, but like, I know if I was tasked with, with drawing, I would say I have 10 thumbs. I would feel really in, like insecure in the process. And there are those who have been drawing for 20 years. If I have to play a soccer game, I'm also going to feel a little embarrassed because there's going to be those who played competitive soccer as a kid. But circus is just a little fun and it's a little silly because everybody's making mistakes and trying something totally new to them. So there's this silliness, there's this community, there's this trust, there's this communication. And there is inherently a new form of thinking. So I like to not say that we're thinking with our bodies, but we're getting rid of the artificial separation of mind and body. So there are times where we have happened upon on these kind of new readings that I would say I have not come by and you may say I've not come by in like years of tech study. And then sometimes we have, we happen upon fairly common readings. Um, like we were doing, this was at Limud Chicago, I think, we did. We were studying the uh, Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden story, and someone was talking about how it feels very parental, like they're like God is a parent with their kids, and the kids are maturing, and there's some anxiety about that, and there's some protection about that. And we were like, and they kind of happened upon this because they were doing a human pyramid with their kids, and they were like, I just feel so nervous about my kid <laughs> that all I can pick up on the text right now is parental anxiety. And we were like, yeah, like, I think that's like a reading we've come by before. But the fact that you got it through your bodily research is fun and exciting. And the whole group is like, that's awesome. <laughs> and so it becomes this communal experience. Um, and then what was fun about that is like, then we were looking at the Ghanaian story and we were finding anxiety everywhere. And we were like, when God is saying, where are you? We often think of it as like this omniscient kind of rhetorical, maybe abating question. And we we're like, what if God was anxious? And I was saying, where are you? So we did kind of get new readings out of that as well. 
And so there are these lovely community aspects to it. But I also want to say there it is incredibly individualistic. Um, so like while I'm introducing text, I always like introducing sacred arts. I always like to say one person's feeling elevated is another person feeling stood on. Another person's imbalance is another person at tension with. It, like one person's anxiety of feeling like they're going to drop somebody is another person's, I feel locked in up here, you know? So there, there is these individual moments within the community, which I also think is just what a community is. Like to say like a community moment is when everybody's having the exact same thought is unrealistic. But there is this incredible, what a fascinating thing that comes up in these re- in these moments of research, which is very much part of the community building of nature is something called, I call it touch language. I learned that term from a, like a show I saw in Germany a couple of years ago. I think this is something that like mothers can relate to, um, but like, or parents as a whole is by touching someone else, you kind of get a sense of what they're feeling. So kind of like, I know like my sister, I was talking to my sister about this and she was like, based on how my kid is resting on me, I can tell their mood. You know, without them saying anything, without them crying, like just kind of from how they're t- like from just touching, she gets this idea. And this happens in circus as well, where you're doing acro with someone and you can feel their anxiety. You can feel their stress. You can f- also feel them feeling comfortable. You can feel them feeling secure. Um, and so there's these forms of communication, which is not just a verbal communication that we need in community building that is unique to circus that creates a community in these settings that it really is true that people come to these sessions as strangers or just colleagues and leave with newly defined uh, relationships. Yeah. So, you know, I've never really thought about that in, in, in that way. So it was very interesting to hear what Ayal was saying about how he creates community or what they do creates community. And, and, and that is also individual. And I feel that we have the same thing going on. And I was, as you were talking, I was really trying to think what, community really does form because there's no question that each year of kit of students have formed a little unique community because of this class. Part of it has to do with the way we do the study itself and we we sit around together. We, it's not in Chavruta, it's as a group. Uh, part of it is how I present the class to them as I tell them this is not, I don't run it like a high school class, I run it like a college seminar. You're here by choice. You're here because you committed to coming here because you want to be here, doing the readings because you want to do them, experimenting and being open to failure because you chose to be here and to do all those things. And um, that sort of sets a tone for the type of class it is. We use a lot of humor. We love to laugh. We love to enjoy being together. And then the design process that I told you where they have to share and they really have to, and they are supposed, we, we practice, you know, constructive feedback and how you do it. We study, you know, how you present an idea and how you then challenge somebody a little bit because, and, and we model it. I challenge them all the time. I don't accept their first ideas. I don't accept a murky idea. You have to be loud and clear about what you're trying to transmit and then the design process, as they bounce their ideas with each other, um, at the beginning, they're a little uncomfortable. And as the year goes on, they go to it without my having to tell them that. So they develop a culture that we all share. And then honestly, you know, we're working in, we have a magnificent um, um, 
design lab with amazing tools at our high school. And we spend a lot of time in there. It takes patience. It takes waiting. Woodworking is a one-on-one -on -one with the teacher with power tools and danger room and, you know, safety equipment. So between, the, you know, they, they, they work on several things at once so that they can do that, but they understand that they need to support each other. They need to help each other. Some students are better at one thing and others are better at another. I had one student who, for the life of him, could not cut with an X-Acto knife. No one had ever really taught him how to hold one. So while I was woodworking with one, two of my other students were practicing how you cut with an X-Acto knife. It's very, you know, and and that forms community um, because of my expectation is that they're going to help each other. I'm not the only teacher in the room. We're all learning from each other and coming up with interesting ideas and interesting ways of going about the process. We did ceramics. So one student had taken ceramics. So they were able to help the others and, and show them technique when I was doing something else with another student. But it, I put a lot of responsibility on them to function the way we're supposed to function for this community to work. Um, and I think just by virtue of that, uh, we create this unique group. And, and it's interesting. I never, I haven't really thought about it like that. So it's really nice to sort of think about it. Now our class has all of a sudden grown and I have to teach two sections much larger. And I'm thinking, how are we going to keep that? Because it really is part of the magic of the class. So I'm open for suggestions. Have, have you found similarities in personality between the two classes? Each year has been very different, actually. This is the first year where I'll have two different sections. And oh, I'm coming up. Okay. Yeah. But I can tell you as a teacher, I've taught multiple sections of other classes. There are no two classes that are alike. And I always have to adjust based on who I have in the room. Um, I, I can sense that one class likes to do things this way and one class likes to do it that way. You get a feel for who they are. Um, I've had groups that were highly intellectual and really did unbelievable research and created actually a published product together. We created um, uh, uh, something called a, a, an educational toolkit based on um, Jewish ideas and thoughts. And the students themselves were, that's what they were drawn to. And then I had a group who was interested in leadership and they developed uh, their ideas through playing leadership games. Um, very, very different groups of kids. They would have hated the you know, deep research looking up articles and poetry and whatever the first group did. The second group was all about figuring out how the components of leadership and how to get to it through play. Ahuva, talk about what kind of sense of community is created through the creation of art in your work in the classroom. So um, back to when Ayal was speaking um, and talking about the, you know, his experience with the circus arts, it reminded me of something that happens in my classroom, which the words he used were trust in terms of when he, you know, works. Um, and I find that um, that's what I experience in the art room in my class, that um, the environment is is very much conducive to needing trust between the different students and artists. Um, and I'll give you an example. Uh, when I do the artist baby drosh in, I believe it's 10th grade, we um, do the prayer of Ashray. Um, and we talk about, and this is also, I'm trying to cultivate um, the concept for the students that it's not about learning um, text for just illustration, but more about putting themselves into the work. I always begin with like a game 
And it's, I call it the praise game. We, you know, throw a ball one to the other and you have to praise each other and give compliments to each other. And they're all uncomfortable and confused. And, but basically when I introduce Ashray and we talk about, you know, praise in general, besides understanding the text, the goal really is for the kids to harness some experience in their life where they are um, grateful to God. Um, And so they create a work of art, which is about an expert, like an experience in their life. And so I can give you example upon example where the students have made artwork that is extremely personal. Things that, you know, you would never imagine a student would put out, you know, like they had surgery when they were a child because of a heart defect or, you know, uh, parents that were very ill or, you know, experienced financial situations in their life um, or mental illness. I mean, people put these things into their artwork and it's incredible. And it's they're sharing it with me, but not just me as their teacher, with the rest of the class. That's what the community we're building in the art room. It's I'm not just putting my, you know, I'm not just making artwork because it's a class. I am putting myself out there. I'm learning about myself and I trust you as a teacher and I trust all of you as my classmates so that I can grow as a person and that we can all learn from each other. So that happens a lot. And I don't think that happens in every other class, but it definitely happens in my classroom. We we've spoken about process of creating of the students creating art of creating art that in some ways is an interpretation or response to a text a prayer uh, a Talmudic law a, a biblical story for our last section I'm I'm wondering if you could talk about or give examples. You just gave one, Ahuva, so maybe think of another one. Um, what does this experience of art uh, do for your students? How does it change them or impact them? We talked. A, I talked a little bit about how different skills become evident through this kind of class and, and different students get to shine where in, in places where they haven't before. So that, that's a part of what happens. You really do see students respond differently to the learning when it's presented um, with creativity alongside it. And I, you know, I echo all, everything Ahuva said. Um, sometimes the, the creative process is, is not as personal, but I've gotten also many students open up about, about things in their lives. And, and it does become a community of trust that when you talk about it in that room, it's being handled respectfully. And so for my students, I think I've spoken a lot about the different things that we do and what it builds in them. Um, learning about a different way of thinking that things don't have an absolute answer, um, trying and failing, uh, using tools, using a knife, going shopping for wood. I mean, I, it's, it's an, you know, these are things that I did naturally as a kid and sometimes aren't available anymore to our students. And I think also the idea that it's not a grade driven class, while the grade is important and I, you know, understand the importance of it, it's really about a love of learning and exploring and trying different things. Um, it's about connecting to who we are as a Jewish people in terms of our texts, our shared um, sources, 
uh, and developing an interest in learning about it. I mean, I'm, I'm all over the map here with you because as I, you know, I can, I can just keep, and I'm sure I can see everybody nodding and saying, yeah, yep, yep. We have all these things happening when you combine different disciplines. It, it requires all kinds of learning on all kinds of level and, and joy uh, and, and struggle. I mean, you know, I will say that the students have a very different experience. What we do in our class is uncommon. The way we run the class, the way the community develops, the way the students are responsible for things and how we work together throughout the year has endless growth. I also want to say that it's very important to give the right time for the process. Um, I have to value quality over quantity. I know that in some classes they rush, rush, rush. We got to teach this. We got to teach that. We, if we don't hit enough text, you have to be able to let go of that if you're combining in my, in my view. Um, it's more about learning it, learning it well, producing something well. Art and creativity takes time. I don't often don't let them create immediately and go, no, you're supposed to let it mull in your, things take time and creativity and good, good product takes time. So those are the things that I hope they come away with. Uh, Huva, maybe I'll, I'll phrase it a, a little differently. Uh, same idea. How do your, how your, do your students change when they exit your class? For their religious growth, I think it's really important because at least in my 12th grade, you know, I have a lot of kids that come in and they're learning texts and I feel like it's just a totally different experience, um, learning it, um, and experiencing it. And I think it just gives them an opportunity to, to grow in a different way. Some kids come into my class and they're so anti-growth period. Um, they're sort of in the class because they're, they have to be in the class because it's required of them to take a Judaic studies class. Um, but, um, they, they start learning with me and they start working and they're part of the conversation and they're creating and they're growing because they're enjoying it and they are exploring it at their own pace with their own um it's it's a part of them in in their own way and so i think um the religious growth has to come from them and so the art gives them that opportunity that uh, medium to let it flow in a more natural way um because it's creative and, and they need that. Ayal, how do your students change after they've experienced interpretive circus arts? How they change is an interesting question. I would say like a emotional shift I see is like gratification <laughs> in that it manifests in different ways. People who are, who are kinesthetic learners and they are like, Oh, like I've, had this connection ex connection to Judaism already and like this works for me and we we've had people who have been like very cerebral and you see them afterwards and you're like oh I think they had a bad time and they're like no no this is actually really cool and I'm like well I agree but like <laughs> and then they're they're happy about it and they have this new entry point into study and that's it like, gratifying and exciting for them and there's just like always a, 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 an emotional shift, which I would say is rooted in gratification, as well as a shift in open-mindedness to the legitimate 
academic potential of using art and not just like a, a extra activity. Okay, Aura, I'll I'll give you the last word. Now the pressure is on. I mean, I love hearing what Ahuva and Linda are talking about, but I don't know that that is going on in every Jewish school. And um, if it is already now, I'm so happy to hear that. Um, but some of our experience in Jewish schools has been that those who are have a more artistic bent are sometimes made to feel like they don't have a seat at the table for the things that are so important to them. Um, and I see it with adults too, that people who feel I have my art over there and my Jewish life over here, and I don't really have a place to connect it, or the place to connect it is superficial as opposed to deep. And that's what I love about what I'm hearing from the two of you, and it's what I love about the work we do, which is it is exceedingly inclusive. And it really um, res not only respects, but but loves, cherishes artistic approaches to study and believes them to be a part of the Jewish conversation. And that is something I think is just so important. Um, I think some kids feel that they need to leave the Jewish community to do their art and they don't have room for it because what's done in the Jewish community is just not the depth of their understanding and talent and desire. Um, and, and so I, I hope that, um, we're m moving in this direction. I hope that more and more people are doing the kind of work that I'm hearing here. Um, because this is clearly a, a very deep connection that I'm hearing here. Um, and I know other schools are doing that also. Um, but I, I think it's something we as a Jewish community um, still have work to do. And, um, and I hope that, that we continue to see that studying through the arts, whether it's circus, whether it's woodworking, whether it's uh, painting or, you know, whatever the, the mode is, um, is a, an important and significant way to approach our sacred literature. And one that is there for all of us, not only for those who are more experiential or more kinesthetic. Um, we had a, a great experience. I, Ayal and I were teaching together and we brought in an experiential educator. And he said, so everyone think of where was your place where you most enjoyed studying, you know. And he expected everyone to say camp or, you know, youth group or trip to Israel or whatever. And both Ayal and I had examples of sitting in a classroom, um, you know, different classrooms, but at both of us. So we thought it was like, very funny that here we are teaching this class, but our like dream memory of study was studying text, not studying through experience. Um, but I think it was actually a really powerful message because the point is, this is not just for some people. This is for everyone. 
And I think everyone gains from it. And I think the Jewish world gains from it because it really makes the point that there's room for everyone at the table. There's room for all of our thinking at the table. I'm also so encouraged by uh, and excited by the work that that all of you do. Um, I think that educational theory has really more and more come around to the importance of arts being not something, you know, once a week on the side, if you're lucky, but really at the core, uh, a core discipline, a core methodology of learning that should be in the classroom and available to all students. And I think what you've shown is that there are many different ways that the arts can be brought in, many different art forms, many many different parts of you, of, of people can be uh, brought to bear uh, in this work. And uh, the possibilities are really limitless. Another thing I just want to say is that I love the interdisciplinarity of it. Um, you you all really bring text study and cutting things and physical activities and building and conversations and arguments and all kinds of disciplines, all kinds of sources of learning. And that's really uh, a trend that we see as well with the arts being a core component of what's now called STEAM in, in schools, bringing together science and, and oh, sometimes it's called J-STEAM where you bring in Judaism and science and technology and arts and math. And uh, that's really the trend because life isn't, isn't uh, chopped up into different parts. We're all really one one person uh and you're really leading the way so thank you i want to thank uh ahuva linda ora and ayel for a really stimulating conversation about uh teaching the arts and experiencing arts and how it can open up portals on our relationship to judaism and classic jewish texts i thank you again and hope you enjoyed the conversation If you liked what you heard, please give the podcast five stars and share it with your friends and on social media. You can follow our podcasts by searching for Prisma on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. To learn more about Prisma, go to our website at www.prisma.org and follow us at PrismaCJDS. Prisma's work, including this podcast, is made possible by generous funders who believe deeply in the power of a great Jewish day school education. Visit prisma.org to add your name to the growing list of donors supporting day schools across North America. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed and we'll come back again soon for future episodes.